When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. Doug is here now. Stephen will be along a little bit later. Thanks, as always, to you guys for listening to Buckeye Talk. You can follow us on Twitter at Buckeye Talk Pod, at Stephen underscore Means, at Doug Maurice. Email us at BuckeyeTalkPod at gmail.com. Not a lot of email action this week, although we got one from Norway, which is sweet. Um, but a lot of good Twitter questions. Man, I was just, I was just, I just tweeted this out. And I just want to say this, like, uh, and I was thinking about this because this, uh, the podcast is uh, a little different this week. Um, I am <clears throat> out of town. I'm visiting my in-laws with my family for spring break. Needed to come see Grammy and Grampy in Iowa. So I'm in Iowa right now. Um, and Steven is back from Oklahoma, obviously. He didn't like stay in Oklahoma for an extra week after the NCAA tournament. He's back. He did basketball talk on his own. That's going to come up later. A wrap on the basketball season. I'm doing football talk on my own. So it's going to be football and basketball podcast, but it's two separate segments. Um, and I just wanted to say that like, there's a lot going on and like writing is a very isolating kind of thing. You sit in your basement, you're alone with your thoughts. You put your thoughts out into the world. Sometimes people like them. Sometimes people don't like them. Um, in this new world, like with obviously not new world, it's been around for like 20 years, but it's, it's much easier to interact with people. Um, People comment on your stories. You can go back and forth. But it still is more of an isolated thing. This, the podcast, is like a family, man. And so, like, I'm, I'm here in Iowa. Like, I've been busy the past, like, five or six days. My daughter, my youngest daughter had a play um, last week. So I was at that at night. It was great, but I didn't get to write as much as I usually do. I took my oldest daughter to the NCAA tournament in Columbus on Friday and Saturday because she's, she's a huge basketball fan. I did not cover it. Um, first time in, you know, I did, I did not cover the NCAA tournament at all this year as a journalist. I went as a fan with my daughter. That was great, but I didn't get to write much about stuff. Um, I was watching games all day. 
went to Ohio State practice on Saturday. Then I got home on Saturday and wrote my big Sunday column about the Browns. Then I flew on, on Monday, didn't get to write. So, like, I'm feeling kind of bad that I haven't been writing as much. We've started this new text thing, which I appreciate you guys, those of you who have subscribed. Um, I'm going to talk more about that later, but I want to get into the, into the questions. But it's like I was sitting down to do the podcast just now, and this is my point. And I'm like kind of in a weird mood. I'm like kind of worried about stuff. I'm kind of worried about the text thing. I'm kind of worried, man, you're blowing it. You're not writing as much as you need to be. Like you got to get more stories out. And I was like, oh, man, I'm on. I'm sort of on vacation. I got to do this podcast. But then I sat down to read the questions. And like it's not I have to do this podcast. It's I get to do this podcast. Like I'm fired up. I'm reading the questions you guys put out. They're super interesting. You're sparking ideas in my head to talk about, to write about later. Like, it's so interesting, and it's a communal thing, and I feel connected to you guys. I've gotten some really nice notes, um, you know, as I sort of reached out to you guys about the text thing, and I know we have, like, a core group of you guys that's really big, um, and it just it's so appreciated. And I just want you to know it's like I'm sitting alone in my wife's uh, bedroom where she grew up in Iowa, um, getting ready to talk about Ohio State football for an hour and a half. And like, I'm excited because of you guys. So thank you for that. Thank you for making this a community. Um, it's pretty sweet and I appreciate it. And we're going to get in, we're going to get out of the therapy session. Again, this is part, part therapy session for me, not for you. I feel like I'm asking a lot of you guys lately. It's like, Hey, can I come in your phone and you give me money? And it's like, Hey, can I divulge my deepest, darkest doubts about myself and pour them out to you as you're on the treadmill. So yeah, thanks for that too. All right, listen, awesome, awesome, awesome questions. And I want to start with this one. Man, I had them lined up. But it's it's the, the position that needs to improve the most for the Buckeyes to make the playoffs this year? That's the question. I'm going to find out who uh, who wrote it because it's really good. Let me see. I, I actually wrote them down this week to try to be prepared. Um, and like I'm less prepared than usual if that's possible. It's Greg. Greg, my friend. People asking me about amusement parks, which I like. People asking about robots. All right. Greg Siron. G-R-S-Y-R-O-N on Twitter. His dog is his avatar. The position that needs to improve the most from last year to make the playoff. And then we get into uh, Disney or Universal. Here's the thing, and, and I want to take you into a conversation. Again, a lot of my best thinking, which is my best thinking is just mediocre thinking, but my best thinking happens while I'm talking. I start talking. Maybe you've noticed this in the podcast. I start talking, and as I talk, I actually figure out what I think. I don't always know what I think before I start talking. Here's my point. I got in the car on Saturday. There were a lot of national people in covering this Columbus Regional for the NCAA tournament. And my friend Adam Rittenberg from ESPN, who I've known for 15 years, does a tremendous job. One of the best college football guys around. I hope you're reading him and following him at ESPN. He does a lot of TV stuff, but he's at ESPN Rittenberg. He's been on this podcast. Great guy, great reporter, great writer. Uh, he's there covering the regional, but he also comes to Ohio State football practice on Saturday. That's open because he works hard. So I give him a ride back to the arena. And we're just talking. And I wish, like, it's like a lot of this stuff, I just wish I could, like, I should just turn on my recorder and start recording stuff for this podcast. It's funny, I had a conversation with Bill Rabinowitz um, at the Combine last month, you know, from the Dispatch, who I've known forever. And we were talking about the Ohio State quarterback competition. 
and we disagreed on something. And I was like, man, I should record this. Um, so I'm talking to Rittenberg and he and I are talking this out. And my point is this. The position that needs to improve the most is defensive coordinator and linebackers coach. And I, and, and here's my point. I talked, I talked a lot about this last year. I thought there were two things happening with the defense. I thought there were scheme problems and I thought the overall talent level was a half step below at several positions compared to where it used to be. But I think when you think about the defense, because I don't think it's the offensive side of the ball, but I also want to talk about something because I went back and watched um, the Purdue game, and I can't remember if we talked about it last week that I rewatched the Purdue game. I don't think. I think I did it after the podcast. There were just guys put in so many bad situations that it moved around. Like, I was really hard on the linebackers last year, and they were a lot of it. But the safeties were out of position. The corners made bad plays and were out of position. When you think about the Maryland, the long Maryland touchdowns early in that game that led to that game being down to the wire, right? It's because they gave up two gigantic runs early. That was Damon Arnett. Damon Arnett made bad plays on the outside. That's a corner making bad plays in the run game. Late in the year, that was an issue. The safety position until they got Brendan White in there was an issue for two-thirds of the season. The linebackers were an issue. They changed what their responsibilities were in the middle of the season, right? So, So when I say a position, if I'm thinking about an individual player, what needs to get better for this team to make a playoff? This is the most important important position that needs to get better. It's easy to say linebacker, but yet for part, for a chunk of the season, I think that that second safety spot, the way guys were out of position, taking bad angles, giving up long runs, I think that was as problematic as anything. Then in the Maryland game, it's corners with bad leverage, bad contain on the edge, letting guys get outside. You know, that was the biggest issue that game. It's corners getting beat, getting handsy, right? So it's like, what position? It's defensive coordinator. And here's where I came to it as I talked this out with Adam in the car as we were talking about this. I don't think that I've said this on this podcast before, but this is what I think happened to Greg Schiano last year. Greg Schiano last year with the 10th assistant and the, the new 10th assistant did not have a position group responsibility anymore. Previously, when he was co-defensive coordinator and, and kind of like the main guy among defensive coordinators here, he also was the safeties coach. So when you're a position group coach, you have a meeting, you have your players you're in charge of, you're responsible for making sure they're doing well in class, they're doing well off the field, you're responsible for recruiting at that position a lot, you're responsible for knowing their families. Everybody talks about this. You have to know their families, you have to know their girlfriend, you have to know what they're worried about, you have to know what makes them happy, you have to know how their day went. You're responsible for a core group of guys. And then you coach. Then you also coach. Greg Schiano last year didn't have a position group. Alex Grinch had safeties. Tabor Johnson had corners. Bill Davis had linebackers. Larry Johnson had defensive line. And so I think Greg Schiano's freedom, he was basically the head coach of the defense. Greg Schiano's freedom led him to scheme himself into oblivion. And he schemed his players into oblivion. And again, I've said this before for sure. So many guys are talking about the scheme was too complex last year. Guys were thinking too much. They weren't just running to the ball. They weren't just playing with their instincts. They weren't just being natural on the field. And I think that's because Greg Schiano didn't have anything else to do. He just could sit around and think, what can I have guys do? When an offense does this, we're going to do this. And he made it too complex. So as it relates to the linebackers and the safeties and the corners, 
I don't know that I can say a position because I think there was such an overwhelming effect on everybody on the defense. And then meanwhile, Bill Davis is a guy who is used to coaching NFL linebackers his whole life, his whole life, his whole life. And he's trying to relate to these guys. Everyone's talking about the enthusiasm, the energy, right? Like the lifting you up. These linebackers, I think, got the brunt of it. That they were asked in the beginning of the year, they're up filling holes. They're trying to draw double teams to free up the defensive line to make plays. Then they're getting hit over the top, right? They're getting hit in the middle of the field behind them. Now, later in the season, they're backing up. And so if they would have had a position group guy who would have been energized, don't worry about it. Be confident. We got you. I think that's what Luke Fickle was. Don't worry about it. I'm going to build you up. Maybe the scheme is tearing you down because you're in your own head. I'm an enthusiastic guy who relates to young linebackers. I'm going to build you up. I think Luke Fickle coached that way. I know he did. I don't think. I know he did. I think Al Washington coaches that way. I have heard that already. Al Washington, enthusiasm, energy, vigor. Al Washington's like Luke Fickle. Is it an age thing? Not necessarily. I think it's how you relate to your players. Kerry Combs related to his players that way. Energy. Because you're relating. Kerry Combs is a high school guy, right? Bill Davis was an NFL guy. Al Washington and Luke Fickle are college guys through and through. They relate to you. Let's go. Energy, juice, all that stuff. So I think the combination, yes, it's the linebackers. But it's the it's the defensive coordinator who has to get them out of their own head. So when you look, linebackers messed up sometimes. Safety's messed up sometimes. Corners messed up sometimes. So the most important position is somebody who's going to be in charge of getting in their heads and letting them play. And that's the most important position. So I think as defensive coordinator, I mean, I, I think we probably all would agree if we all said, well, what's the position? You're either going to go linebacker or you're going to go that second safety, right? You feel like Jordan Fuller's got it, the other safety. But Brendan White kind of locked that down in the last month last year. You felt good about that for the most part. But now you don't know exactly what Brendan White's doing. I don't want to talk about the bullet too much because we've talked about the bullet a lot, that new position. But I think it's the overall effect. So that's where I go with that answer. I think it's a really good question. But then again, also, there's something I want to write, and I'll tell you guys about this. And this is what I like to clue you in on some stuff that I'm thinking. Just rewatching that Purdue game, man, the offense had a chance. The offense definitely, we have to remember, remember that loss that took them out of the national title picture. The offense holds a lot of culpability for that because that game um, was tied. Well, that game was a scoreless tie with like a minute left in the first quarter. That game was right there for about three quarters. That game was right there. Um, it was not a situation where the defense just let him out of the gate and got blown off the field. The defense wore down late, right? The defense wore down late. Yeah, we definitely talked to the linebackers after the podcast last week. Okay. I don't want to, re- I don't want to like double up on what we did already, but we didn't because we got the linebackers last Thursday and then it made me go watch the Purdue game. So, there was a play, and this is what I want to talk about, and I want to write about this. I don't know if you, if you guys follow me on Twitter, at Doug Maurice. I tweeted this out from Pro Day last Wednesday. There was a play, just thrown against air, where Dwayne Haskins makes a throw to the corner of the end zone. Terry McLaurin uh, goes up and gets it, gets one foot down, college touchdown against air. Looks good. 
And it wasn't the exact route, it wasn't the exact play, but it reminded me of a throw in the Purdue game. And, and Dwayne Haskins was late on two throws in the end zone in that Purdue game. One to Terry McLaurin, one to Ben Victor. But it's like a little out route in the end zone against the corner, cut into the sideline. Dwayne's a half second late delivering them. They both get knocked down. But I, when you watch that play, now on Pro Day, Terry McLaurin goes up, turns to the ball, goes up, strong hands, good body position, makes a play. And that Purdue game... He lost the fight with the defender for the ball. He didn't go up strong to me. He didn't go up strong hands. He didn't go up strong body. He didn't box him out. Dwayne was a little bit late with it. Didn't throw with enough zip. And, like, everybody's on Terry McLaurin and Dwayne Haskins right now. Everybody's excited for them for the NFL. That was a play early in that Purdue game where those guys had an opportunity and they didn't hook up. And it's on both of them. And so, like, Dwayne Haskins is going to be a first-rounder. Some people think Terry McLaurin, Mel Kuyper is putting Terry McLaurin in the first round now, which we can get into that maybe later. I I have a very hard time thinking about a world where Michael Thomas went number 47 in the second round and Terry McLaurin is going to be a first-rounder. That's no offense to Terry McLaurin. I think the Terry McLaurin NFL train is a little out of control right now. Um, But my point is this. Like, when you're thinking about the position, what are you pointing out? There there were just points when it really mattered for them. When things went wrong at different points of the season, it was different spots at different times. The linebackers and the safety were, were an overriding thing. But, like, the offense against Penn State wasn't great until they figured out the screen game late and rallied in that game, right? The Purdue game, the defense let it get away late. But, man, early on, that pass game, the pass game had opportunity to make stuff happen. And they failed. They didn't. So that was on Dwayne that day. That was on Terry McLaurin and Ben Victor that day. So um, it's just interesting to go back and look at that. I really it stood out to me in that Purdue game. And I'm, I'm going to move into another question now because I, I've gone too long on this. But it's the thing I wanted to lead with. What's the position that needs to improve the most to make the playoff as defensive coordinator? And here's the thing I want to get into now because it's another Terry McLaurin question. And I thought it was... Um, I thought it was really interesting, and I'm looking for it because it was really good about Terry McLaurin, and we're going to get into the text stuff later again if you guys have already asked um, the text question. If you guys have already subscribed to the text function, I appreciate it. Um, I'm going to make it my pinned tweet on Twitter, so if you follow me on Twitter at Doug Lamarish, you can go there, sign up. Three ninety nine a month, I'm sending you one or two texts a day about Ohio State. It's like Buckeye talking your phone without the rambling and the coughing. Um, I really appreciate the people who have signed up. The people who have signed up seem to like it. If you're hesitant, I would take a shot. I think the people do like it. You can also sign up by going to cleveland.com. We have lots of promotions for it on cleveland.com. You'll find it. Or if you want to, you can go to projecttext.com slash campaign slash 28. We had like another, it's kind of a weird, it's not kind of, it is. It is a weird URL. We had a different thing and it didn't work, but it's projecttext.com slash campaigns slash 28. But you're not going to remember that. So go to my Twitter at Doug Maurice. I'll make it the pinned tweet. <coughs> or go to cleveland.com and you'll find the ad for it. You get a Buckeye talk in your phone once or twice a day. My observation, little factoid, little nugget, little thing I heard. And here's a good question from Tyus Roberts. I like the new questions. I'm going I'm to ask for that. I'm going to get to this and I want to ask you guys to do something too. Let me take a swig of Diet Coke. Tyus Roberts 
After seeing the tribute video not long ago, who can step up to be like the next Terry McLaurin? I think there was a video Ohio State did about Terry McLaurin. Who is that selfless leader that's making big and key plays without the ball? A guy that's all about the team. And I've been thinking about this. I think it's a really interesting question. And and I think this is an interesting answer on this. Tough Borland. And here's why. Tough Borland, that Purdue play, the Purdue play that really stands out, I think it's the maybe the worst play of the season. Um, it was just a devastating time in the game. Linebackers get sucked up, sucked up. Rondale Moore, we had a big conversation with Al Washington about, he's talking about the Purdue game when we talked to him last week, Al Washington, the new linebackers coach. He's talking about the Purdue game. He's talking about Rondale Moore's killing you. He's talking about needing a bullet to cover a guy like Rondale Moore. They covered Rondale Moore with Sean Wade almost that whole game. They had Malik Harrison on Rondale Moore once. He, he, broke Malik Harrison's ankles. You can't put a linebacker on Rondale Moore, including Brendan White as a bullet, as this new position, right? As this new hybrid safety linebacker position. You've got to put a corner on him. So Sean Wade as a slot corner was on the field 85% of the snaps. I tracked it all. I'll do something with it because I watched it again. I just watched the whole defensive game again. Sean Wade was on Rondale Moore the whole game and had trouble staying with him. Made some plays on him but had trouble because Rondale Moore is that good. But the worst play of the game was the linebackers, I think it was Pete Warner and Tuff Borland were on the field. They suck up into hole, into gaps. Tight end releases across the middle of the field, completely uncovered. Hits them for like a 25, 30-yard game. The easiest throw you'll ever see made. It's not Rondale Moore. It's not an All-American. It's just a guy. In the middle of the field, Tuff Borland reacts late, tries to get back to the guy. Looks like he's running in slow motion. It's eighth, the eighth game of the year. It clearly looks like Tuff Borland is still not healthy. Running in slow motion, chasing this tight end who gets a 30-yard gain. And it was just at a critical time in the game. And it was just like, it was so bad and so egregious and such a breakdown. It just felt like it broke the back of the defense to me. And that was the worst play of the game. And maybe arguably the worst play of the season. So many other big plays went wrong. That just stood out. I was like, what are you doing? And there was a time that Michigan State played Purdue later. And Michigan State clogged up the middle of the field with linebackers. And it was like, why didn't Ohio State do that? They were throwing over top or around the linebackers all game with ease. But they also throwing to Rondale Moore, beating Sean Wade at times. Because Rondale Moore is awesome. So here's my point. Tough Borland. An underlying thing with me with the linebackers is I'm a little, not a little, I am apprehensive about Tough Borland being on the field 80% of the time. Against spread teams, in coverage, covering guys in space, I just don't think he's the best option for Ohio State with these other guys that you have. With Baron Browning, with Terada Mitchell, with Malik Harrison, with Kayvon Pope, with Dallas Gantt. With, uh, there's all these linebackers. There's like seven or eight scholarship linebackers I really like. And Tough Borland's in there. But I'm apprehensive about Tough Borland playing 80% of the snaps. And maybe it's because I'm thinking about injured Tough Borland, who clearly came back too quickly. we got to remember all this stuff. And this is one of the things about sports writers, because sometimes fans have lives. You, you guys are supposed to live your life and, and, and f- drop in here and there. We get paid to do this all the time. We have to help be your institutional knowledge. And when teams just say stuff, you can't just listen to them. Because just because this is the my main thing and, and that I try to do covering this team especially, <clears throat> I don't write down what they say. Because just because somebody says it, whether it's a coach or a player, doesn't mean it's true. 
I take what they say into account as part of the picture, but a story is not guy said this. The story is here's the real deal on this situation. Here's what they said. But here's what I think that means. Here's what I think is true. Here are the other things you have to consider. So last year, they're talking the whole time about Tough Borland coming back. He's the toughest guy around. He heals quick. He works so hard in rehab. He was not ready. He played hurt. Now, that's credit to him. They put him on the field at times when he wasn't ready. They did play Baron Browning a lot. Baron Browning played a good amount in that Purdue game, for example, in Week 8. But there are times Tough just couldn't keep up. So uh, maybe I'm judging Tough Borland unfairly because he's a, a tough guy. He is a tough guy who came back, who pushed himself to come back. The coaches let him come back. The coaches put him on the field. It's on them. It's on Bill Davis and Greg Schiano and Urban Meyer. They put him on the field. And then he couldn't keep up sometimes. So here's my point. I want Tarada Mitchell on the field. I want Baron Browning on the field. I want Malik Harrison on the field. I want Pete Werner on the field. I want Brendan White on the field. I want Dallas Gant on the field. I want Kayvon Pope on the field. I want all these interesting linebackers on the field. So I think Tuff Borland could go from the guy that we think about as the starting middle linebacker. And this is the point that someone made a couple weeks ago that if you had two weeks to live, you'd put on Buckeye Talk because it takes me forever to get to a point. I realize I'm getting to this point like uh, 15 minutes after I started the question. I think Tuff Borland could be a guy who is the leader of the defense without playing all that much. And by all that much, I mean he's clearly not a, a base defense regular. They mix and match. They play Taraja. They play Barron. They have looks with a nickel where they don't have a really a Mike linebacker in there maybe. Maybe Malik Harrison and Brendan White are the two linebackers on the field with other corners and safeties. Maybe Malik Harrison and Pete Werner. Maybe Malik Harrison and Dallas Gantt. That kind of thing, right? <laughs> But that tough is a tone setter. Tough is a leader. Tough is a guy on the bench answering questions. Tough is a guy who on third and two goes and sticks his sticks his head in a hole. Not a head. Sticks his body in a hole. We gotta think about heads. I don't, I don't like that phraseology. That's that's on me. Brains are too important to, to take that lightly. Sticks his body in a hole and makes a stop. Leads the defense without being on the field every time a team is in second and seven and try to throw and trying to throw on you from a spread look, right? Plays a lot against Wisconsin, right? I get it. But I think Tough Borland could be that guy. When you think about Terry McLaurin and as much as Urban Meyer, Terry McLaurin, Johnny Dixon played a lot last year. They split one side of the ball. A lot of times Terry McLaurin was not on the field. He was doing special team stuff. He did make big plays. This isn't the guy who caught 80 balls. Tuff Borland doesn't have to make 85 tackles to be the leader of the defense. So he's the guy that stands out to me. I think Tuff Borland can really help this team without the coaches putting him on the field 75% of the time. So I think that could be an evolution for him. I think he's important. I don't want to downplay him because it's clear how much the coaches and the teammates love him. And that matters more than what a guy sitting in a bedroom in the suburbs of Des Moines, Iowa, thinks. But I just want other linebackers to get a look. You know what I'm saying? I want other linebackers to get a look. And I think there's a way for them to do that and to let um, Tough Borland be important without being on the field every single play. 
Anthony Clausen, and Anthony Clausen too. We're going to start going faster. I'd like to do some big ones early, right? Where we dig into stuff a little bit. Cause I want to dig in, kind of have a, kind of have a sense of like a big thing that we're hitting. And then we'll do, uh, then we'll do a little, uh, lightning round. So we're getting closer to lightning round. Here's a secret, right? <laughs> so Steven, so I said to Steven, Steven, you do like half an hour to an hour on basketball and I'll do like half an hour to an hour on football. So Steven's part is coming up later. <clears throat> you know, part of it is I'm not sick. It's just my throat gets dry. I'm going to have to go get another Diet Coke. We have a question about off-brand soda coming up. I have very strong thoughts about what should be off-brand and what should be on-brand. I think the best, well, I'll get to it later. Off-brand Rice Krispies is where you can save a lot of money. Um, Steven, so Steven and the basketball thing, first of all, he does a whole introduction. Like, dude, you're not getting to do the introduction. I'm doing the introduction. You're coming in for the second part. So I'm going to leave it in. So when you get to the basketball part with Steven, Steven comes in and says, welcome to Buckeye Talk. And it's like, Steven, we already started Buckeye Talk. But it's okay. But he says he's going to do an hour, 26 minutes. So maybe some of you guys will like that more. I listened to part of what Steven did, and then I fast-forwarded through some stuff. Um, just because I, I have a lot going on. But uh, so, like... If he said he was going to do an hour and he covered what he needed to cover in 26 minutes, that may be very refreshing for those of you who sometimes think that I have about a half an hour's worth of stuff to cover and it takes me 90 minutes. So I think that's a good balance. All right. Anthony Clawson. He's concerned about the defensive ends this year. Chase Young was dealing with injuries last year, but he wasn't always a factor. After him, there isn't that much proven talent. Great question because i think there's a lot of times the the best thing we can do is is check our assumptions when we're analyzing the teams that the team that you guys care about and there's been such a talent glut at defensive end especially you go back to two years ago chase's freshman year when he's playing with sam hubbard nick bosa Tyquan Lewis and Jalen Holmes, and Chase Young is your fifth defensive end. That's ridiculous. Then they get to Nick Bosa and Chase Young, and you think that's ridiculous. They're playing potentially two defensive ends who are top five picks. Those are your two defensive ends. You only get that for two and a half games. And then Chase, frankly, wasn't as good as you thought he was going to be. Then we find out late in the year, Bosa's out. The guy who really turns it on on the defensive line is Draymond Jones at defensive tackle. Then we find out late in the year, Chase Young's been playing with two sprained ankles all year. So here's where we stand on defensive ends, and I just have to tell you this. So two things. Um, this is like the this is how much of an old man I am. I just I was talking and I got interrupted because my phone rang, and it was my pharmacy calling to say uh, that my pills were in. It was a robot call, um, but that's that's who you're talking about. That's the kind of guy you get football information from. A man whose pills are in at the pharmacy. The other thing is I realized, I went back and listened really quickly, I realized that when I sit and I hold the phone in my hand as I'm talking, because I record it on my cell phone, I get the scritchy scratchy. I get the scritchy scratchy of my hand. And so I think I just gave you guys half an hour of scritchy scratchy, and I apologize for that. So now I have uh, the phone balanced on um, four books um, that are a collection of romance novels and um, like Bible verses that are uh, now stacked. You go to your in-laws, you never know what you're going to find in the bookshelves. So that now my phone is not in my hand. It's going to stay in one place. So I think we'll get less scritchy scratchy. Back to Chase Young. Here's where I think we get in the defensive ends. And I talked about this with Adam Rittenberg in the car. 
And it's good to get this perspective sometimes because sometimes you lose track when you only do Ohio State, how guys look. Adam Rittenberg's just saying like Chase Young just looks different. Adam Rittenberg knows knows national college football. Guys don't look like Chase Young. <clears throat> so when you think about Chase Young, I think a healthy Chase Young is going to be an All-American candidate. So I, that's my expectation. So if Anthony Clawson, if you're concerned, I think you're, it is fair – and I try to keep it real. I think it is fair to expect that Chase Young plays to an all-American level, assuming he's healthy. And I think that's a fair assumption. Add one more book. I think it's a fair assumption, given what we know about him and if he's healthy, plays at all, an all-American level. I just said hello to Tyreek Smith very briefly at the open practice. We haven't officially talked to the defensive end yet. I think Tyreek Smith at the other at the other end, he had a role for this team as a true freshman. That shows you something. I think it is reasonable and fair to expect Tyreek Smith to take a jump. I told him that. He feels good. He feels different. He said all the stuff the second-year guys always say. They understand it so much more. I think Jonathan Cooper is a solid guy. I think Tyreek Smith is your next best pass rusher. So I think there's reasonable expectation there, right? So Tyreek Smith and Tyler Friday as second-year guys are your third and fourth defensive end. That's not the same group as two years ago when we're talking about four veteran NFL guys with Chase Young as your fifth end. We know it's not that, but I think I think to me Chase Young and Tyreek Smith, if those are your two pass rushers on third down, I think you feel good about that. I think Jonathan Cooper is a solid dude. And then the thing that I think is a wild card, and it's, again, talking to people about this, it's like the underlying thing of, like, could Baron Browning maybe help out at defensive end in some situations? If they're trying to get him on the field, they're still playing him in the middle, there's not really a spot for him at outside linebacker, could he help as a rush end in certain packages? We've seen that sometimes, right? I remember my first year, Bobby Carpenter was a linebacker on third down. He was a rush end. You can do interesting things. I think Jeff Halfley has the ability to figure stuff out. I think Greg Madison can figure some stuff out. Can Baron Browning help you as a rush end on spots? Maybe. So I think it's a reasonable thing to expect. I would not expect, you know, Nick Bose is special. He's he's rare. That group, to have that group of four veteran guys two years ago, that was rare. This is not that. I think Chase Young is great. I don't think we can say for sure that Chase Young is, is like the Boses were. But he's right there. He's close. He's as close as you're going to get. So I, I, I don't think you should be worried about it. I think you also have to have the understanding and the realization that what Ohio State has had at defensive end the past couple of years is ridiculous. And you can't assume it's necessarily going to be like that. But I would, I would actually feel confident with Chase Young, Tyreek Smith, Jonathan Cooper, and the, the possibility of Baron Browning helping out there. Second part of Anthony Clausen. Am I the only person that feels like the offense is going to look more like 2017 Ohio State? Not to- <coughs> I got to get a Diet Coke. And not 2018. No. You are not the only person. They're going to run zone read. They got to run zone read. They got to run zone read. Justin Fields can do it well. He said it. He said he's done it his whole life. You got to take advantage of it. Justin Fields, when we're watching practice Saturday, you know what Justin Fields does well? He runs it, man. Oh, God. The thing I keep saying, he's part JT, part Braxton, part Terrell. All right? He can run. And it's like, that's not what you're looking for in practice. I know it's part of it. You got to get used to that, too. But it's like, oh, you're looking for a receiver. Now you run, right? It's like, all right, well, it's practice. They can't hit you. It's not live. 
But when he does, he looks pretty good. And I will also say, like, when I watch practice on Saturday, we watched the whole two hours. It was the first time, all, it was the fifth practice of the year. We watched all two hours. I'm still looking more than anything at rotations. Because it's the fifth practice. I, I think people can get a little breathless. I don't think it. I know it. People can get a little breathless about a guy makes one play in practice, right? A guy has a good day. A guy has a bad day, right? I mean, like, it's hard to get a read on the fifth practice. It's like the third padded practice of spring football. And we're going to try to be, like, determinative about this guy is this. Man, I haven't seen a guy do... Listen, man, they practice all the time. We get tiny little glimpses. And I know you guys like that stuff, but I am that's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for a guy makes one play. I'm looking for, like, how does the guy look overall on the field? Does he look comfortable? Does he look like he's in the right place? You can get a little sense of athleticism and that kind of thing, right? But I'm mostly looking at rotations. Who's running with the ones? Who's running with the twos? Is the guy, is Brendan White playing safety? Is he playing bullet? Well, he's playing both. Who's the deep safety when it's not Brendan White? Well, it's Isaiah Pryor, and it's also a lot of Josh Proctor. I'm, tr- I'm looking for depth chart confirmation more than anything else. So um, I can't remember what my point was about this. Wait. Oh, so I thought, but I will say this, and I want to get to another point about what we saw on Saturday. About the offense 2017-2018. Justin Fields looks great running it. Throwing it, missed some dudes. Right? I mean, he just missed some dudes. I thought he had like a weird delivery on a couple throws. Like he just made some throws. Like he missed some guys. Throws that like Dwayne Haskins makes. So, like whatever. Does that mean anything? He just got here. I'm not going to tell you like – but I'm just telling you – am I taking a little hint like Justin Fields isn't Dwayne Haskins throwing the ball? I mean I've been saying that. The whole time since he got here. Because very few people are Dwayne Haskins throwing it. Dwayne Haskins can't run it like Justin Fields. So if you're telling me what's it going to look like, heck yes, Anthony Clausen. It's going to look like more like 2017 than it did 2018 because that's the style of quarterback you got. And then maybe by 2020, we're going to be talking about as Justin Fields grows into this offense, maybe it will look more like 2018. But it's like what Ryan Day wants to do philosophically versus the kind of quarterback that he has, right? So it's just, it's an evolution, but I do think if you have to be prepared and aware that the zone read, I think, is going to be an important part of what uh, this team is going to do this season offensively. All right. I'm going to get to a quick one because I've always wanted to make a t-shirt out of this. And I don't know if this is great. It's a philosophical thing. It's my, it's my, I'm a cautious person. It's my philosophy of life boiled down into a possible T-shirt slogan. And I, and I don't know if this is like a thing that everybody says. I don't know if I invented this. But Eloy Hernandez, who was always an active and interesting tweeter, at Eloy017. He has some stuff that we're going to get into later. It's like he asked a really good schedule question, but I can't do schedule talk in the middle of spring football because we have three months of non-football stuff to fill in the offseason, and we got to save schedule talk for then. Oh, my my, my stinking computer just died. i got to get myself together. I'm going to answer this question, and I'm going to go get Diet Coke and charge my computer. You won't know because it will be instantaneous. Eloy Hernandez said, what's the best advice you've ever given or received? I can't – like I'm trying to think of the best advice I've ever received – um, 
I don't know, but I feel like I give a lot of advice. And perhaps by advice, I might, some people, I might call it advice. Some people might say I yell at a lot of people. So my main thing is my advice that I've given is always hold yourself to a high standard. Then you can hold the people around you to a high standard because you're saying, look, I've done this. Then you can hold people accountable and they can't question that you because you're locked in. You're doing what it takes, right? So that's my main thing. But this is my other thing. This is my t-shirt slogan. This is a little crass. Listeners under the age of nine might want to avert their ears, but it's also a fart joke. So they might like it. I always say I'd rather fart in the toilet than crap in my pants. Is that philosophical? Is that like a Confucius kind of thing? Which is just to me, it's like, if you're not sure what's happening, I'd rather be cautious and find out that you were overly cautious about the situation and everything's fine rather than think you're in the clear and then really have an issue on your hand. Like, is that a thing? That's probably not something that I should say out loud. Can I pull that back? It sounds better in my head. But it's my philosophy of life. So I feel like it's kind of deep. And I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. But I also probably feel like I probably shouldn't have said that. So I'm going to go get a Diet Coke. And uh, I'll be back in like half a second. And you won't even know that I stopped to clear my throat and turn my computer back on. All right. I've wetted my throat. And I thought of uh, another piece of advice. This applies mostly to sports writers. Because I will tell you, when I was a young sports writer, I was so nervous to ask questions in a group setting. And I think this happens to all sports writers. But it applies to you everything. It applies to everybody in life, right? You're nervous at your job. You're kind of new at something. Um, you're uncertain in yourself. And so you're quiet. It happens in school, right? I mean, it's like, it's, it's just life. If you're uncertain, you're afraid to put yourself out there. And I think the most important thing that that as an old person, I've realized it's not that I'm as it's not that I'm smarter than anybody. It's that everybody is as dumb as me. So if you think, well, I don't want to put my idea or my question out into the world. Just remember that all of us, we're all constantly surrounded by idiots. And so the person to your left and the person to your right is dumber than you probably. So ask your question. Who cares? Don't don't let confident idiots run the world. Just put yourself out there. And it's not that you're a genius. It's that we're all morons. So that's very important. When I, I started my first beat, my first big beat, I was 24. And I started covering the Philadelphia Phillies as like a traveling baseball writer when Terry Francona was the manager. And I would go to spring training at 24, which is like what Steven is now. Um, and I was so nervous. I was so nervous to go down there and try to work my story ideas and ask my questions. And I was, I was around these really veteran baseball writers who were knew so much more than me. And I would just sit there and be quiet sometimes and not ask what I wanted to ask. Um, and, and eventually it's like, you get over it a little bit, you get more confident in yourself, but I should have been more confident then. Cause you know what? People ask dumb questions all the time. So it's just, that's the thing. I mean, you know, no offense to you, but the person, if you're listening to this, you're probably an idiot. But no offense, I'm an idiot. So who cares? Let's be idiots together and put ourselves out there. That, let's be idiots together and put ourselves out there. And then we'll put the other slogan on the back of the t-shirt. All right. 
Nikki Unders, one of my favorite people. Why is this uh, mouse not working? Um, Nikki Unders, who just asks great questions, and I love him, and his avatar is uh, Alan Iverson. Who, what, and who stood out at the Student Appreciation Open Practice on Saturday? So that was last Saturday. Um, I, I'll say something that stood out is that there was as much juice. Like the open practice kind of has taken a step back from what it once was. Um, they had a, a free roosters for the students, and they still lined up, and they had um, people kick field goals. Someone, some student kicked a field goal um, and won like a year's worth of Chick Fil A. So actually, I want to try to find that guy because I didn't talk to him then. And see if I can eat some free nugs with him. Because I think that would be like a good... I don't know if it would be a good story or a good podcast. But I would get free nugs. So I might do that. But there just wasn't... I mean, it was like... It felt like a... Felt like a a, a Xerox of, of previous um, student appreciation practices. Like, it was kind of the same. But like, it wasn't as sharp. It wasn't as um, colorful. It wasn't as... The hues weren't as deep. You know, like it was fine, but there just wasn't as much going on. And, and, and you know, for the students who were there, they got pictures with with players, and that's great, and they got autographs, and that's fine. Um, but I just didn't, th- I didn't, I didn't feel it as much. So like that actually stood out to me, and I didn't really write about the student part of it because like I didn't think it was great, <coughs> which is just real talk, whatever. But then like in terms of like who stood out again, like I'm not thinking individual plays because a guy can make a catch, whatever. Um, I just thought Tarada Mitchell, so on that day, Tuff Borland had a knee and Baron Browning had a hamstring and neither of them practiced. So Tarada Mitchell is just running with the runs ones at middle linebacker like the whole time, almost the whole time. He's a sophomore. We talked to him last Thursday. I liked him before. I like him more now. And like, I just thought he looked ready. Not on a single play, not because he tackled somebody or made one read. I just thought when he was out doing his job on a play-by-play break basis in every drill, in every seven-on-seven, in every full 11-on-11 period, he just looked ready. And I asked Ryan Day about that, and I'm gonna I'll clue you in on uh, guys on a thing that that I want to write that I think is an important. Um, it's like a part two of something I wrote last, last spring that didn't come true. But I just thought Toronto Mitchell looked like he could handle it. And, and I thought to myself, man, if that, like just watching this, and again, all the caveats of it's early, it's, they just got in pads, it's spring practice, we're only getting a look. I felt like if, like if that's your middle linebacker, I feel good. I feel good about it. So whatever that means... He looked ready. And I asked Ryan Day that question, and, and Ryan Day said he's ready. So, like, I'm on. I'm in on Toronto Mitchell. I'm not the only one who's in on Toronto Mitchell. But, like, it wasn't an individual thing. It was an overall vibe to what happened on the day that I thought that's what stood out to me. And so here's the thing I want to talk about. This isn't a question, but I'm going to write about it later. And, again, this is kind of what you guys get. Um, with some of the tech stuff, it's like my thoughts in progress. So it's some thoughts that I haven't had time to get to write yet. It's some thoughts that I'm going to write later, but I'm giving you the inside thing now. I'm giving you the nugget, the heart of it now. I'm going to write about it bigger later, right? It's some stuff I'll never get to because it's not quite a story, but it's like an interesting thing. That's what you get on this text message thing. And I'll get more to it later because we have a couple funny comments about it. 
Um, last year, my main story, and I asked, I asked a bunch of guys over the course of spring football a year ago. One, the one big story I kind of asked about all spring was I was very interested in comparing the 2000, 2017 recruiting class to the 2013 recruiting class. And the 2013 recruiting class, of course, is Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, Von Bell, Darren Lee, those guys, Eli Apple, who as sophomores became leaders and starters and important game-breaking JT Barrett, players, Billy Price, important starters and players for national championship team. And this 2017 class was also ranked number two in the country, just like 2013. I said, is this 2017 class ready to be like the 2013 class? Which means as sophomores start, play like all Americans and lead this team to the playoff. Jeffrey Okuda, Chase Young, Baron Browning. That's the guys I'm talking about. J.K. Dobbins. And like the best quote I got talking to Chase Young one-on-one last spring was like, heck yeah. And I can't remember the whole thing, but like it was basically heck yeah. And they weren't. It didn't happen. I thought one of the issues with the team last year was that the 2017 guys were good. but They weren't great. Chase Young had the ankles. He wasn't great all year. He wasn't the equivalent. And I did the whole big story. You guys can go Google it. I did a whole big story comparing... You know, this 2017 guy to this 2013 guy. Chase Young is Joey Bosa. Jeffrey Okuda is Eli Apple. Isaiah Pryor is Von Bell. Baron Browning is Darren Lee. Right? And it didn't happen. Like, it's just fact. They didn't get to the playoff. And and those guys, J.K. Dobbins in year two did not look like Ezekiel Elliott in year two. J.K. Dobbins will tell you that. That's why we're talking this spring about how J.K. Dobbins is like rededicated. He he maybe got a little bit of a big head last year. He's rededicated to being treated like a freshman. It's because the sophomore year wasn't great. So the 2017 guys in year two were not ready to be game-changing, all-American quality players who could lead a team to a national championship. The heart of that national championship team in 2014 was the 2013 class. Now, supplemented by tremendous seniors, Michael Bennett, Evan Spencer, Devin Smith, right? You know who I'm talking about, Curtis Grant. So that's okay. Now we're on to the 2018 class, and I asked Ryan Day about the 2018 class, and I'm definitely going to write about it, but I'm very interested in the 2018 class. Because now I think what you have happening, man, this probably should be the lead of the podcast. I think it's so interesting. This could be the headline. I think it's so interesting. Because the 2018 guys don't have to be all Americans. But they have to supplement the 2017 guys. So now, here's what we have. We have the 2017 and 2018 classes who are now in their third seasons and in their second seasons. Juniors, sophomores. Jeffrey Okuda, Chase Young, Baron Browning, J.K. Dobbins, all the guys we want to talk about from the 2017 class. Now, they better. I mean, of course, there's nobody else to do it. They better play like all Americans. They better play like game-changing dudes. But the 2018 guys don't have to. They don't have to lead. They have to supplement. They have to supplement. So when I'm thinking about Taraja Mitchell, when I'm thinking about Nicholas Petit Frere at right tackle, when I'm thinking about um, Tommy Togiai, 
and Tyreek Smith and Teron Vincent on the defensive line. When I'm thinking about Chris Olave, right, receiver, when I'm thinking about Jeremy Ruckert at tight end, they don't have to be the best players on the team. Because Jeffrey Okuda and Chase Young and J.K. Dobbins should be that. But what you should have is 2018 guys supplementing, helping, making a difference. And that's what I asked Ryan Day about. And some of these guys got to come. So that's an important thing to look at this spring. That's why I'm really interested in some of these 2018 guys. Because, again, they went back-to-back. Number two, number two classes in the country. Each of them arguably, arguably the best class in Ohio State history. Up there with the number two ranked 2013 class. Up there with the Super Softs. Right? Up there with um, that 2002 Ohio State class. That's like Troy Smith, A.J. Hawk, those guys. Right? Dante Whitner. And I'm a little off. But anyway, there have been other great classes. But that's how good these 17 and 18 classes are. So I'm super interested in these 18 guys popping without having to be stars. But having to help as the 17 class become stars, not in year two, but in year three. I'm so super duper interested in the convergence of those two classes changing this team. I'm into it. That's what I'm watching, baby. That's what I'm watching. That's like my overall, that's like my big, 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 big thing. Um, ben K at Flu SK5. With the bullet position, again, that's what they've renamed. Because they're the silver bullets. They had to come up with like a cool name for this hybrid safety linebacker position. Bullet. That's cool. I don't know. I mean, like, they could have had a competition, right? I have a foot cramp. You guys get foot cramps? Um, but that's the bullet position. So this is Ben's question. This is a little bit what I wrote about last week after talking about the linebackers. With the bullet position being implemented into the defense, is this another example of the coaching staff forcing scheme over personnel? With the depth at linebacker, especially the young guys coming up, wouldn't the traditional 4-3 be best? Why are we forcing Jocelyn Wint on the field? Like, I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. Um, Eloy, Eloy Hernandez jumped in with the good, you know, like asking about it. Um, I'm really, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm worried about that. You guys can go find my notes from Al Washington about options at linebacker and questions at linebacker. Like, that's what I came away after talking about linebackers last week. That's like my big takeaway was, are we jamming? Are we creating a position where we're going to have two former safeties and Brendan White and Jocelyn Wint playing a position? And then we have eight scholarship linebackers fighting for playing time at two spots. When I think there's probably like five or six guys who really could help them. So, like, I'm very interested in that. I don't have an answer. But I have my eyeballs on it, like in a big-time way. So like Ben K, keep asking because I'm going to keep asking. And when we get Greg Madison late in, um, late in spring practice, that's like the last interview session is Greg Madison. Like that's what I'm going to ask about. So Al Washington is just a guy who's going to be vague, who's not going to give a lot of specific answers, which is, I get it. He's young. He's new. I get it. He doesn't want to say anything wrong. But Greg Madison's making $1.1 million. He's been doing this for 40 years, um, 45 years. He can get specific. So I'm going to drill down on that when we get Greg Madison. So keep asking me and keep reminding me because I'm going to keep pushing them on that idea because I think it's an important one. It's one that I'm really, really um, 
I'm really uncertain about. And I think, you know, it's like when I was started covering this, like the, the, under like the Trestle regime, Luke Fickle said it all the time. Best 11, best 11, best 11. Like it was like a cliche. It's like I, sometimes these guys say stuff so many times it loses meaning. But now like I'm now like I'm back on best 11. It's like figure out the best way to get the best players on the field. And don't tell me you've got a scheme idea that's going to put two or three of your best players on the sideline all the time. Show me a way to make it work because you've got athletes here. That's the thing like Al Washington said everybody can run. So if you're telling me, well, we got to do a certain thing to cover guys in space whatever, I get it. But I don't know why you have to turn safeties into linebackers can do it because to do it because I think you've got some athletic linebackers here who can find a way. James Frederick at James FB six one seven. Who will be this year's surprise player from the bench? And this is funny because I put out a call for basketball and football questions, and I can't tell if this is a football question or a basketball question because it doesn't say the sport in the question. But it applies to both. I actually think it might be a basketball question, but I stole it for football. Who will be this year's surprise player from the bench? What freshman will have the most significant impact? And lastly, which player waiting in the wings in previous years will finally take center stage? That could be a fencing question. Ooh, I really think this guy in Sabre has been waiting in the wings. and Now he's getting a shot. Sports. So I'm going to go. I actually thought about this ahead of time and wrote it down, which is unusual. Who will be this year's surprise player from the bench? A guy I'm watching is Josh Proctor. Um, Josh Proctor's a guy that, again, is very easy to fall in love with. As they experiment with how they're using safeties, there was a look they ran a lot the other week. I mean, on Saturday when we were watching, this was a look you saw a lot. Four down linemen, three linebackers, sometimes three base linebackers, sometimes like Brendan White as that hybrid linebacker is one of them. Three corners... With Sean Wade playing s- slot corner with Okuda and Arnett on the outside and one safety. <clears throat> so in that look, it's a one deep safety look instead of a two deep safety look. I like that. I was like more into that because um, I want Sean Wade on the field. Like I'm still, I think it's interesting. Like is Sean Wade going to be in the mix at outside corner? But he's playing a lot of slot corner. Again, he's your Rondale Moore stopper. Brendan White's not. No offense to that, Brendan White, but just like that position is not. So um, Josh Proctor, then it's like, who's the deep safety? So I guess like most of the time it's going to be Jordan Fuller. It's just that Jordan Fuller's not practicing right now. So actually this kind of takes it away a little bit. But Isaiah Pryor's playing that a lot, and Josh Proctor's playing that a lot from the look we got. So I like Josh Proctor getting action. I want to see Josh Proctor on the field. Um, but if that's a look they're going to show – which which is which is basically like a um, like a and I'm gonna losing track of players. So it's uh yeah it's it's a four three but it's three corners one safety. Or if anything it's like a four two five, but then you know you're calling Brendan White a safety there, but he's really up in the box playing linebacker. So it's just like a lot of change. The main thing about me like that I was worried about with linebackers is like are you telling me you're gonna make a a safety playing hybrid linebacker like the guy who's going to cover the slot, which is like I'm not in on. Uh, but this was an interesting look. But So I, I like Josh Proctor getting to look at that deep safety spot. But actually in the fall, it's going to be Jordan Fuller. So then I don't know where you go with these other safeties if you're playing one deep safety a lot. 
But but just keep an eye on Josh Proctor as a guy who I think could be a surprise player. Just, I think, a good, long, rangy guy that you want there. What freshman will have the most significant impact? Again, I think this might be a basketball question. Uh, Garrett Wilson. like is, Of course it's Garrett Wilson. It's the guy everybody's talking about. I wrote a breakdown of the, of the receivers uh, for Wednesday morning that I wrote from here in Iowa. Um, that stuff I asked about. I asked Ryan Dave out on Saturday. You guys can go read it. But the main thing is Austin Mack is playing some Z receiver. He was an X receiver his whole career. Because otherwise, the way it was before, my assumption coming into spring was the X receivers were Ben Victor and Austin Mack. The Z receivers were Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Now, Austin Mack is playing some Z. He's learning that position. So he's given you some flexibility there. <clears throat> but clearly, it feels like Garrett Wilson is going to be part of a receiver rotation. So... He's a true freshman who looks like he has a job. And that's the hardest thing. Well, who has an opening? Who's going to force their way in, but also who has an opportunity? So I think Garrett Wilson is the most obvious guy as a freshman. I think everybody would tell you that. And lastly, which player waiting in the wings in previous years will finally take center stage? Um, Two guys that I really think about in terms of that. One was Taraja Mitchell, who I just talked about. But the other one's Jeremy Ruckert. Um, who was waiting in the wings last year, played some, right? They played three tight ends at different times last year. Luke Farrell and Rashad Berry played the most. Luke, uh, excuse me, Jeremy Ruckert played some. Uh, Ryan Day, when I was asking him about receiver depth, said Jeremy Ruckert, when they have two tight ends on the field, is playing some H-back as a tight end when they have 12 personnel, which means two tight ends on the field. So that means you come out, you run on the field, the defense says, hey, look, they have two tight ends in the game. They have one running back, two tight ends, two receivers. We're going to keep a base defense in. We're going to have three linebackers on the field because we have to be ready for them to run the ball and block with these two tight ends and try to pound the ball on us, right? Now you split out Rucker in the slot just the way you would split out K.J. Hill or Jalen Gill or Paris Campbell. And now you have a mismatch because now you don't have someone that you anticipated putting out there in coverage on a slot guy, but now you have a 250-pound, five tight end who's going to be a mismatch problem. I think that's really interesting. I think that's not a unique way to use a tight end. It's just not what we've seen here very much. When we see the tight end split out um, like that at Ohio State, it's either been that they've been offset as sort of like a wing back, half in the backfield, half at tight end, or it's when they go five wide, which they do all the time, which is they have their three wide receiver personnel in with one running back and one tight end, but then they go five wide, and now they have a running back split out wide as a receiver, and they have a tight end split out wide as a receiver. But actually, when you see them do that, they almost never throw to the running back or the tight end. It's just their way to put Typical personnel on the field, keep a typical defensive personnel on the field. Now their alignment is going to spread the defense out. They're spreading out safeties and linebackers and then trying to throw balls to their receivers and have those tight ends and running backs out there blocking. Or they used to do that a lot and then run JT out of an empty set, out of a five wide empty set. Now you call quarterback draw against a spread out defense. But they didn't do that. They didn't have that tight end split out wide to throw to the tight end. I'm going to say that I can't ever remember them throwing to the tight end when they go five wide like that. 
It's just a defense. It's just an alignment wrinkle to do what you want to do with a receiver or a QB draw. So to me, if you are now splitting out a tight end, not wide, but in the slot, but you're getting him off the line of scrimmage, you're getting him. He doesn't have his hand down. He's not tight against the tackle with his hand down. He's split out standing up, but he's a tight end. And now you're going to run him around in the middle of the field and throw to him. Like that's new. That's not new to the world. That's new to the Ohio State way of thinking as I remember it. And now, I don't know. Listen, I'm not an X nose guys first. I got a million things going on. I'm in Iowa. So if you want to, like, drop a play and say, well, they did it this time and this time and this time, I apologize. It's just not, like, they threw the ball to KJ and Paris there, right? They weren't throwing the ball to tight ends out of the slot. So that's why I'm, it really, I was interested in Ruckert before. Like if you ask me that kind of question about who's going to pop, who's going to be new, who's going to be different. I was always interested in Ruckert, but like that got me super interested in, in Ruckert. Um, that idea, which is what Ryan Day said Saturday when I asked him to run through where guys are working on the receiver depth chart. If he's going to all of a sudden go out of his way to answer, to put Jeremy Ruckert in an H-back answer, that's new. Be excited. I like it. Quantran, my guy, super TBQ. Great question. Who wins a national championship first? Um, The question is basically Tom Herman, Ryan Day in football, Archie Miller, Chris Holtman in basketball. Um, Who's going to win a national championship first, or is it going to be none of them? Like, actually, I think the guy, I I don't know about Archie in Indiana. Like, a lot of people, when I wrote this the other week, a lot of people wanted Archie because um, Indiana moved first, got rid of Tom Crean. They hired Archie Miller away from Dayton at a time when a lot of people were wanting Archie Miller to be the Ohio State head coach. Gene Smith sort of figured it out late, gets rid of Thad Mata in the middle of the summer. Really weird timing. But Archie's gone. Archie's at Indiana for six weeks or whatever. So Archie's off the table, and now they go get Holtman, and Holtman's better. Like, Holtman's better. He's recruited better. He's More importantly, he's executed more effectively with the guys on the, on the roster. Um, Indiana had more talent this year, and they missed the tournament, and Ohio State made it and won a game. So, like, I don't know. I, like, Indiana, it's like, I don't even know what Indiana basketball is anymore because Indiana basketball is Bob Knight, and since then, they haven't been it. So they weren't that under Crean. Crean was a one seed a couple times, won some stuff, but never really did anything in the tournament. You know, you had Cody Zeller and 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 uh, Victor Oladipo, and like you didn't get you didn't make any tournament noise that year. So they popped here and there, but like Ohio State has been by far a better basketball program than Indiana since Bob Knight. So, so I, like I don't I don't I don't know what what would lead us to talking about Indiana. In terms of a national championship program, there's nothing. It's not 1976, so so that's they're off the table. Um, Ohio State basketball is not a championship. Is not a national championship contender at the moment. So like I'm not there yet. I'm like along with everybody else. There's been a lot of coming, not coming around, but it's like there was some pushback from fans. I think in the middle of the year, and like all the writers, me included. 
Um, but like really reinforced the last couple of weeks that like this Ohio State team maximized what, what what they could do. Holtman got the most out of them. Holtman's the right guy. Actually, we've got a little bit far the other way. Um, he's good. Like he's good. He's done everything you would want. But like I, I just we're not at a point to talk about Ohio State national championship basketball stuff either. So I'm taking the basketball people out of the equation. So now it's Day versus Tom Herman at Texas. And I'm going Tom Herman at Texas. And, and here's why. If Texas is supposed to be good, like why has Texas stunk? It is unbelievable that like who are the – when you think like what are the best football programs in the Big 12? I mean it's clearly Oklahoma. But then it's like you think about like – Oklahoma State or TCU or like Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech or Matt Campbell at Iowa State. How are you not thinking about Texas? It is an insult to the people and the football fans of Texas. What has happened to that program at the end of the Mac Brown era? Mac Brown drove that program straight off a cliff. And then Charlie Strong couldn't drive it back up the cliff. So Herman can recruit. I mean, he's lost some battles with Ohio State. Garrett Wilson would look really good and burn orange and white right now. Instead, he's wearing scarlet and gray. But they're getting some stuff going there, certainly more than they were before. And it's there for the taking. Texas is Texas. Like, if you're wondering, like, well, well, Indiana is Indiana in basketball, right? Well, the recruiting base isn't nearly what it is in Indiana basketball compared to Texas football. And again, Texas football has been relevant more recently than Indiana basketball has been. So Tom, Texas has a path, right? It's like beat Lincoln Riley, make the playoff, and you have a boatload of, of recruiting talent available to you. The path is now harder for Penn State because, I mean, for Ohio State, because guess what? Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, I think Nebraska is going to be something. The Big Ten's better than the Big 12. So now the path is harder. The path to a national championship is harder. Um, and it's just, it's like no offense to Ryan Day. He's never done it. Herman's got his feet under him a little bit longer. So Quan Tran to that question, who wins a national championship first? Um, I, I, I wouldn't say none because I clearly think Ryan Day could. Um, and I clearly think Tom Herman could, but I'm going to go Tom Herman on that question. Great question. We're going to finish up here soon. We'll get to uh, Stevens. 26 minutes of basketball. Again, tight. Stephen means tight. Succinct. Getting to the point. Doug Maurice. Laborious. Long-winded. Repetitive. Off-topic. Stuck on tangents. Likes to hear his own. See, that's like a bit. I was doing a bit. I was taking forever to say that I take forever. Uh, Pete Capazzi, say it wrong every week. How concerned about the wide receiver depth are you with the departure of Blue Smith? Uh, Cameron Babb's injury. Is there space for DeMario to see the field more so he can stay at running back? DeMario's a running back. Jalen Gill. Jalen Gill is the new DeMario at H, right? So if you want to get fired up about untapped potential at H back, put all your eggs in the Jalen Gill basket. Um, I think it's a good basket. Demario is a running back. He hasn't practiced. He's been battling a hamstring. Hasn't practiced this spring. Ryan Day's in on it. Ryan Day is uh, part of. I think he's on the Demario bandwagon. Maybe he just got tired of me talking about it all the time. But I, I'm not that concerned about the wide receiver depth because, again, as I went through, I think there's five dudes right now you feel really good about this year. 
four for three for sure. So, well, no, no, I take that back. There's at least there's there's five for sure. The four the four sure guys you feel good about right now are KJ Hill, Austin Mack, Ben Victor, Chris Olave, and then probably Garrett Wilson, just because like you're so excited about it. But honestly, you throw Jalen Gill in there. You throw Jalen Harris in there. So now at eight, you're talking about KJ Hill and Jalen Gill. I think you're good. You're great with KJ, and Jalen Gill has a lot of potential. And then CJ Saunders, the former walk-on, is there too. But I'm excited about Jalen. So you're fine at H. You're not as good as you were when your top two H-backs were KJ Hill and Paris Campbell, but you're good. No worries. Outside receiver, at X, you've got Austin Mack, Ben Victor, and Jalen Harris. At Z, you have Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, and also Austin Mack can play there if needed. Those five guys for two spots, I'm good. I'm good. You got Jamison Williams as a young guy. You got Cameron Babb if he can get healthy, right? I'm good. You got guys coming in. I'm good. Like, I'm not worried about it. Like, there's if you want to be worried, I, like, that's not where I'd be worried. I get that there's some stuff happening there, but, like, that's just, I think, I think you're fine. I think you're fine. Ryan Day season by D underscore Oswald. What's the most important Urban Meyer tradition that Day has kept up after seeing the team together? Also, let's meet up after the spring game. Um, man, I would like to do something around the spring game. Could you do it before? Boy, oh boy. You have to do it before or after. I don't think I can do it after because I have to write so much. I'm not done. I'm not done by the time you guys like want to go home. Could we do something before? Let me think about it. Most important Meyer tradition, listen, it's funny, uh, when we were there for Pro Day, uh, or no, for the open practice, they have like um, this station where they hit this pad against a wall. It's like an Anthony Schlegel thing. He has a company. It's called The Difference. You, you, it's a, you come up out of your stance as a lineman and you hit this pad and there's a spring behind it and you hit it. And they have a little Michigan. They have a Michigan with a, with a Ghostbuster X on it on the pad that you hit. But also between the things that had all these slogans, four to six A to B, life on the edge, whatever, all this stuff, it was all the Urban Meyer slogans. So it's like, um, it seems like they kept champions dinner. They kept all this stuff. So like the most important thing, the most important tradition is like, it's like everything. It's like everything. Um, they do the black stripes, right? I think maybe the black stripes, because that was new with Urban, and they make a, they still make a big deal about that on social media, and that they make a speech in front of the team. I mean, Hugh Jackson even adopted the black stripes with the Browns last year, except he did it in reverse. Which, frankly, whenever Hugh Jackson adopts something, and like it kind of ruins it. But Ohio State fought through and kept it going, so I think it's probably the, the black stripes. But it's funny to me; it's interesting to me that the slogans are still everywhere. Um, all right, so here's a couple of things I want to make a point about. Eloy asked a really good question about the schedule. There's two buys this week, this year, and while there's not the big national game, the non-conference that are Miami, Ohio, uh, Florida, Atlantic, and Cincinnati, although you are getting Lane Kiffin, Luke Fickle for the first two games, um, there's not the big, right, there's not the Oklahoma, Miami, USC, Texas kind of game. But the Big Ten schedule, I think, is tough. So I think he, he asked a really good question about like how tough this schedule is compared to the last five years. And guess when we'll dig into that? After the spring game, Eric Boggs asked a really good question about like the Ryan Day coaching tree. We'll get to it after the spring game. Eric Boggs, which big former Big Ten quarterback will have a better season in 2019? Tate Martell or Alex Hornerbrook? I get to make noodle arm jokes. We'll do it after the spring game. And this is great. You guys are helping me with content. 
once the football stuff is over. But I'm going to stick to sort of like what's going on with the team right now. Um, so, and someone asked me about Hawaii and off-brand soda. So, we're going to get to basketball very quickly. We're going to do a little bit of nonsense right now. And there's a, still a divide of people who likes nonsense and who doesn't like nonsense. Um, so, if you don't like nonsense, like we're going to do it for like five or ten minutes. Simi can't stand your bits, Junior, at Nabby Kankles 4. What's your general feeling on non-name brand soda? We had a debate at work today about grocery chain brands versus name brand. I mean, I'm all about saving some money, but taste is important. Or do we switch to off-brand soda and save money to buy Doug's text message service? So, I think there are some things where you can go off-brand very easily and some that's much harder. I have a hard time with off-brand soda. I think the Coke and Pepsi lines, I'm a Coke guy myself, and of course I'm a diet guy. Um, because I'm an old man, um, like I can't drink off-brand soda. But you've got to be able to find the right stuff. Like off-brand Rice Krispies, there's no difference. Tell me a difference between regular Rice Krispies and store-brand Rice Krispies. It's puffed rice, right? Like there's no difference there. So I'm trying to think of like corn chips. Honestly, is there that big of a deal? Just a, a, the reason you're eating like a, like a, like a Tostito, right? It's just a device to get salsa in your mouth. So I'm willing to buy, you know what's good? Like the $1 round generic chips, they're just as good as Tostitos. It's a corn chip. I think some other kinds of chips, like like just like potato chips, I think you can go off brand. It's grease. But soda, I cannot go down that road. I'm also, I'm very upset. I wanted to write about it last year, but then I probably thought nobody cares. The Browns went to RC. They were only the second team in the NFL to make RC their base brand soda instead of Coke or Pepsi. I think it's ridiculous. You're paying a gazillion dollars to go to an NFL game. And then if you want a soda, you have to drink RC or diet right. That's a slap in the face, brother. Like I was going to use it to take down Jimmy Haslam, but then I backed off because like I think maybe soda isn't as important to some people as it is to me. Because I drink so much Diet Coke, it's like the fifth most important thing in my life besides like my family and my job. Because as we said before, I don't really have any friends. So soda is pretty high. But cannot go off-brand soda. So, But but you can save money on chips, um, toast, like tostada chips and um, Rice Krispies and use that money to pay $3.99 a month to get my texts. All right. Um, Hawaii thoughts. I've been to Kauai. Nice little kind of like uh, not as uh, – it's the least populated island. I, I liked it. I would suggest it. Um, I was lucky to go and uh, it was fun. So I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Hawaii. Um, I like Disney more than Universal. That was a question. My favorite ride is Expedition Everest because it's a roller coaster in Animal Kingdom that goes forward and backwards. And now I want to get to the couple quick uh, text message things. One from Brock Doctor. This is such a good question. Can I pay Doug in cash in an envelope for his texting service as opposed to credit card? I would prefer to avoid my wife's ridicule for indulging my Buckeye fandom. I have the money but not the fortitude. Brock Doctor, if we can set up maybe a fake identity for Brock Doctor, we will go to the ends of the earth um, to get Brock Doctor the text message service because we want him to have that option um, even if his wife thinks he's nuts. And you got to, frankly, you probably got to be a little bit nuts to do it. And then uh, a guy named Mike Kogan emailed. Um, 
He's this Buckeye Talk supporter, and he wanted to say, I have no problem financially contributing to the podcast if it means ensuring its longevity. I currently live overseas in Norway, and it is neither practical nor desirable to receive text messages from you. Like, that's a heck of a problem, brother. Like, I don't, I'm going to try to solve the Norway problem. <clears throat> but we have had some people ask about how you can sort of, like, contribute to the podcast because I've sort of pitched the text message thing as a version of Buckeye Talk. It shows up in your phone. I'm appealing to my Buckeye Talk loyal listeners, some of you who have made the point you've been around since the bad podcast. You're the core group. You're what keeps me going. And you, you want to do what you can um, to support journalism and sports journalism these days because you know it's tough times. And um, we're grateful that you enjoy the product and you want to keep it around. And so I don't want to like force you to get a text message service that you kind of don't want because you like the podcast. So uh, we're gonna, I'm going to push this. Um, I have a tendency to push things um, and scream and yell. And I think sometimes my bosses uh, every now and then say, that's a good idea, Doug. And then other times they say, uh, why do we put up with this guy and put earplugs in? But we'll try to find a way that if you just want to support the podcast, we'll let you do that uh, without getting a text message. But I will say, if you aren't afraid of your wife, <laughs> I mean, we're all kind of afraid of our wives, right? Don't tell her I said that. Oh, my God. I hope she's not listening. Are you listening right now? And if you don't live in Norway, if you live, let's say, in America, and if you are, let's say, someone who has free will, um, try the text message. Again, it's going to be on the top of my Twitter, at Doug Maurice. I'll pin that tweet there. You can go to cleveland.com. Like, I just dropped some stuff. The little things that pop into my head that, like, I save up for the week to drop on Buckeye Talk, you'll get them in real time. The things that pop in my head that I save up and I say I'm going to ask Greg Madison about why are you seeming to prioritize scheme over personnel. But in the meantime, we can talk it out. I can give you what I'm thinking. I can give you what I'm hearing. Right. A lot of it's going to be stuff in the text messages. This is it. It's either stuff that is not a story yet. That's going to turn into a story or it's something that doesn't quite rise to the level of story. But sure as hell. Uh, I said heck. I didn't mean to say that. I apologize. Sure as heck makes for and it's 640 characters that I get on the text message. It makes for an interesting 640 character text. It's going to be interesting in the offseason. It's just going to help you keep thinking about Ohio State football because you like it. If you listen to Ohio State football, listen, you don't listen to this because just you like me. Nobody has illusions about that. You listen to this because you like Ohio State football. And if you take time to listen to a two-hour podcast and you've done it for four years, then you probably care enough about Ohio State football to get a text message or two in your phone for 13 cents a day. So as I've said before, I would take it as a personal favor to me if you sign up. I would also take it as, you know what, give it a shot, see what you think. Even if you don't want to do me a personal favor, I think as an Ohio State fan, you might like it. Um, and, but whatever you guys do, thank you so much for listening to Buckeye Talk. We're going to go now to Steven. And again, Steven did his own intro. I was going to cut the intro out, but it's like, Steven, I'm not giving you, you're not getting to do the intro. I said, do like your basketball section. He's like, welcome back to Buckeye Talk. You're going to hear it in 30 seconds. They've already been welcome to Buckeye Talk, Steven. So, I would like to say that I am a person who can turn a half-hour podcast into a 90-minute podcast. Steven is someone who can turn an hour podcast into a 26-minute podcast. So this has been the football part. Steven's going to wrap up the basketball season in a really interesting way for you guys right now. Um, I'll come back at the very end um, and say goodbye. 
and then we're building up to the spring game on uh, on April 13th, as you know. More interviews coming. A um, couple more interview sessions in spring practice. Um, and uh, and it's just an interesting time with this team. So sign up for the text message service. Listen to Buckeye Talk. Follow us on Twitter. Email us. This is the other thing. I love I, I love the diehards who send questions every week. So grateful. You guys are awesome with great questions. You know who you are. Um, and we try to get to as many of them as we can. You know who you are. But I would also encourage you, if you've never sent a question to Buckeye Talk before, get ready to send one. Maybe you can wait till after the spring game, but help us out in the offseason. What do you want us talking about in the offseason when there's not football news necessarily popping? What do you want to hear? Get a question ready. Send it. When I put out the call for the Buckeye Talk pod questions, which I usually do on Tuesday, um, send it along and we'll get to it. I'd love to see a new crop of people who have never sent a question before. Because like I said before, it's not that you're smarter than everyone else. It's that everybody is just as dumb as you. And with that, we'll go, <laughs> we'll go to Stephen Means. I didn't mean that, Stephen. I'm just joking. I love you, man. Stephen Means talking about basketball here on Buckeye. Hey, guys. Welcome to another episode of Buckeye Talk. This is Stephen Means coming to you. Well, not live by the time you guys hear but coming to you from my bedroom. Doug is actually out of town, and I just got back in town. So we're trying something interesting this week. I'm going to do about an hour of basketball talk. He's going to do about an hour of football talk from his undisclosed location. And then we're going to combine it and give you guys a pretty solid episode. We're going to answer some of your Twitter questions. And I'm going to talk about, you know, Ohio State's basketball season and how that panned out. They ended with a 20 and 15 record. They lost in the second round of the NCAA tournament to Houston on Sunday, 79 to 54. 70, I'm sorry, 74 to 59. I apologize. To Houston. Uh, in Chris Holtman's second season, and I, I wrote something after the game. I pretty much said that you guys should go check it out. But Chris Holtman has been pretty successful in his first two years here. They've gotten to the second round of the NCAA tournament and really outplayed the expectations that guys had for them. They were supposed to be a middle-of-the-road Big Ten team the last two years. Last year, they won 25 games, were the second-best team in the Big Ten and lost in the second round of the NCAA tournament. This year, they were a middle-of-the-road team during the regular season. They had a six-game losing streak at one point. They ended their season with three straight losses, even though Kyle Young had a stress fracture to his leg and C.J. Jackson had his own boatload of injuries, and they were without Caleb Wesson for three games because of the suspension. So they closed out the regular season with a three-game losing streak. But then they got to the Big Ten tournament and beat Indiana in the, in the technically the second round of the Big Ten tournament which pretty much solidified them as an NCAA tournament team. They lost to Michigan State in the quarterfinal, um, got an 11 seed, and they upset number 60 Iowa State on Friday night in a game that they were you know, the underdogs in, and they were the, a five-point underdog against Houston again. And for the majority of that game, it was a game, but then the, the difference was Ohio State could never really go on a run in the second half to, you know, swing things into their favor. It was constantly a six or seven point game. I know the score makes it, it was a 15 point game at the end, but the game was pretty much a six to seven point game the entire second half. And Ohio State could never really put together a series of successful offensive possessions. They could get the stops. They just couldn't get the scores to go along with it. 
and the stories basically define their season. They they were a solid team, but they just weren't good enough to compete at a high level for a consistent amount of time. Their only real consistent player was Caleb Weston, and he averaged about 14 points a game. You know, C.J. Jackson had a pretty up and down senior year. Some games he could shoot, he shot very well. In other games, he couldn't shoot very well. Keyshawn Woods didn't really show up on a consistent level until the postseason where he had his best stretch of games from Indiana till Sunday. He just looked like he was worn out. Andre Weston, as Chris Holtman said, took a huge step in the right direction in his junior year. He'll be the only senior on the roster next season. But the future is bright. I think he didn't play. He, he, Holtman kind of kept his rotation short. Musa Jallo showed some things during the tournament that he was he could be a very versatile defender for the next two seasons. Luther Muhammad and Dwayne Washington Jr. They showed a little bit of of what they could do all season, but they also showed how young and inexperienced they were in the tournament. They played limited minutes, and in the limited minutes they played, they weren't necessarily any good. But you know, the future is bright, and so I guess we'll take some of your questions. See here, what we got? Mm. Uh, first question is from Chris at C underscore Keck. I'm, I'm hoping I'm saying that right. And he says, "Can you give comp comparisons for each of the Ohio, each of Ohio State's basketball recruits coming in next year? Which one is most likely to make an immediate impact?" I'll say this: there are two guys I feel like from day one are going to be immediate impact guys. One guy's already you can I think you can pencil him in as being the starter and that's DJ Card and he'll be a starting point guard next year. Ohio State did not have a true point guard on its roster this season. Keyshawn Woods is more of a combo guard and CJ Jackson is great if he's your backup point guard. He's even admitted that he he's didn't necessarily end up playing the role he thought he was going to be playing when he got to Ohio State in the first place. Neither one of those guys should be a starting point guard in the Big Ten. DJ Carden is going to be a starting point guard in the Big Ten. He's a point guard of the future. So from immediate day one impact, I'd say DJ Carton. EJ Little looked a lot better than I thought he was going to look. I've seen some highlights of him and some tapes of him. He's a lot better than I thought he'd be. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what position he plays. You know, He's listed as a power forward. He's the 45th best player in the country, the number eight power forward in the country. Uh, he's 6'6", 220, though. You know, I, that's around the same size that Andre Wesson is, if I'm not mistaken. And Andre Weston kind of floats. Yeah, literally on the dot, both are 6'6", 220. And Andre Weston kind of floats. Weston has played everything from the 2 to the 5 this season, depending on the lineup that's on the floor. And I think Little is going to be the same way. I think he'll he'll have some versatility and be able to be played all over the court. I think he's a guy who might be able to play right away. But I think the guy to pay most attention to is Alonzo Gaffney. I think Gaffney's 6'9", 190. And if you look at... A lot of pro, a lot of the guys who are getting drafted, a lot of these younger guys who are getting drafted, a lot of them kind of fit that bill. They're these long and lanky guys between six seven and six ten, and you know, they look like they they have the potential to be molded into anything. And I think as the season goes along, you'll see Gaffney, who's an Ohio product, he went to Brewster um, this past season, but you know he's at Garfield Heights for the first few years of his high school career. I think he's a guy that throughout the season you're going to see him develop. And around this time next year, he's going to really show you some things. I, I, it's kind of hard to do player comparisons. Um, I've heard a lot. Of, well, people said DJ Carden and Michael Conley, but I think Carden's maybe a better athlete. 
than Michael Conley is. But I think they're all going to be really, I think Cardi from day one is going to make an immediate impact just because like, just like how Luther Muhammad was in the starting lineup from game one. So he had the most opportunity to make an impact. It'll be the same with DJ Carton. And I think EJ Liddell will start to get playing time later on and will be a, a vital part of the rotation. And I think Alonzo Gaffney, as the season progresses, you'll see him develop. And you know, by this time next year, he's going to be a name to watch for. Let's see what we got here. Where do the Buckeyes start in both football and basketball in the initial polls? Well, I'll do basketball and leave Doug to do football. If Ohio State is ranked to start next season, it'll be in the 20s. I've, I, at best, I think maybe 21st. Uh, and that's just because, you know, they maybe they impressed some people this year by getting an upset win, along with the fact that they're bringing in, you know, a top 15 class in the country. Um, and they're just going to be a better, they're going to have more talent on this team. And so there might be, there's going to be, they're going to have higher expectations. Getting to the second round of the NCAA tournament next year isn't going to be a surprise or impressive. No one is going, if this year getting to the second round of the NCAA tournament, that's a pretty successful year given the scenarios and the situations that they were in. If next year at this time, after the first week of the NCAA tournament, they're sitting at home, no one is going to be sitting here going, man, it was a successful season. They need to, at bare minimum, get to the second round. Coltman said the last two, his, when he first got here, the goal was to get to the NCAA tournament as quickly as possible and get to playing in there. Well, he's, he's done that two years in a row. He's just, he's just simply gotten to the NCAA tournament. That can't be the standard going forward. He even admits that now, you know, starting this summer, the expectation is going to be going further. So I'll say at best, I think they start in the 20s if they are ranked next year, but I doubt they start the season off ranked, but I wouldn't be surprised that by midway through the non-conference schedule, they're ranked. Let's see here. At VC Guitar Channel, next year the basketball team will have a CJ, a DJ, and an EJ. Yeah, they're gonna have a lot of, they've had a lot of guys who like have the initials with like a letter and then J. They had a CJ Walker. <laughs> they had a CJ Walker and CJ Jackson <laughs> this season. And next year they'll have a CJ Walker, a DJ Card, and an EJ Lazell. But how much do you pay me for that breathtaking journalistic dis discovery? Um, I'll pay you an applause. Congratulations on that. Um, I have a lot of basketball questions. Well, <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Okay, so there's not there's not a ton of basketball questions, so I'll just I'll, let's just talk about the tournament for a little bit. Let's let's go back to the Iowa State game, and I, I wrote about this as well, just how they won that game, and I'll say how they were able to win games this year versus how they're going to be able to win them next year. This year they had to make games ugly. Point blank and simple. They, and that's how you beat Iowa State. They turned it into a Big Ten matchup where it was ugly, it was low scoring, it was inefficient offense, and it was really, really good defense. And random guys made shots, and your best player had a really good, had a 20 and 10 type of night. Next year, they're not going to have to do that. They're going to, I think they're going to have a lot more talent. I think Luther Muhammad, I'm obviously team Luther, everybody knows that by now, but Luther Muhammad has some talent and he, now he's got some experience under his belt. So he should be better next year. I think Dwayne Washington Jr. will especially be better next year because he had some experience. I talked to J. Don Ledee at the tournament. Obviously he and Justin Orange didn't necessarily have a full season of gaining experience on the court, the way Muhammad and Dwayne Washington Jr. did. 
especially, but especially Jadon Ladee, just because he was sitting behind Caleb Wesson. Aaron's obviously had that big game against Iowa where he had 29 points and was knocking down every three that he took. Uh, Jadon Ladee had to learn a little differently, and he admitted that, like, the way Iowa State plays is a lot more suited to his game. He's not used to playing, you know, Big Ten type big man basketball with your back to the basket and, you know, you're making post moves and, he admit, he even said that I've never taken this many jump hooks in my life until I got to Ohio State. And so I think this summer is going to be a summer of development for him as a player. If he stays, it's, he'll develop some skills that necessarily he didn't have. Because if you look at the Big 12, there's not a lot of guys in the Big 12, which is he's from Texas, which is Big 12 country. There's not a lot of guys in the Big 12 who have backed back to the basket bigs where you just give them the ball and say, hey, get me some buckets on the post. And so it's going to be interesting to see his development. I think Andre Weston's going to step in as a leader. Like I said, he's the only senior on the roster. It'll be his team. It'll be Kyle Young's team. It'll be Musa Jalas team. It'll be Caleb Weston's team. Those will be the underclassmen. And this is still going to be a primarily young team when you look at the rotation. But the veterans on this team have talent, and the younger guys have a talent as well. So next year will be a lot more interesting. Let's see here. Let's see. James Frederick at James FB six seventeen asks, "Who will be this year's surprise player from the bench? What freshman will have the most significant impact? And lastly, which player waiting in the wings in previous years will finally take center stage?" Well, from a basketball standpoint, I'll say this: the surprise. Who's going to be a surprise player on the bench? I don't necessarily think it's a surprise player, but I think his role on this team will be that. I think Dwayne Washington Jr. is going to be a really good six-man for this team. I think his game merits it. And I think if he can develop and really own that role, he can find some success in that role. As uh, What freshman will have the biggest impact? I think DJ Carden, just because he's going to have the most opportunities from day one. I think he's a guy... He's going to be an NBA talent. I don't necessarily think he's a one-and-done NBA talent, but I think after year two... I wouldn't be surprised if he flirts with the the thought of playing in the NBA after after a sophomore season. And you know, which player is waiting in the wing from previous years? Eh. Like I, I think like Jadon Ladee, I think it's going to be like I said with Ladee, I think it'll be interesting to see how he develops this summer and you know, can he develop into more of what you see in the Big 10 as far as big men? But I think a better question is 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 that what Holtzman wants to do? And I think I'll ask him this one day. Is it's for him to go to the Big 12 and get a guy, Big 12 country and get a Jadon Ladee who clearly doesn't play the same way of basketball as far as being a big man as Caleb Wesson does. Is, is that where, is, I think, my theory is, I think what Holtman wants to do with this Ohio State team is what we kind of saw from Houston. You saw a lot of guys who could play make with the ball. Uh, guys who, you know, playmakers all over the court. They're, they didn't necessarily play through a big man. You know, Breon Brady was their big, and he's about six seven, six eight, two sixty. So he was around the same size as Caleb Weston, but they didn't play through him on the block. He was a he was the anchor to their defense, and yeah, he got a couple post touches, but it wasn't what their offense was predicated on. It was predicated around their perimeter play, and I have a theory that that's where Holtman's headed with his team. You know, his first recruiting class here is three perimeter players and a power forward. 
that doesn't necessarily play like a traditional big man. In this next class coming up, you've got two perimeter players and a guy who looks like he can play inside and outside. So I don't necessarily – I think where this is headed for Ohio State is – I wouldn't be surprised if in two or three years you don't see them play through a guy like Caleb Wesson. And that's with all due respect to Caleb Wesson. Caleb Wesson is really good, so obviously you play through him. He's your best player. But I wouldn't be surprised if that style of big man isn't what Holtman is necessarily purposefully going after because that's not where basketball is headed. You see a lot more perimeter play, and so I wouldn't be surprised if that's where he decides to put his focus on instead of going for a big guy where you just give him the ball in the post and ask him to go to work. Let's see here. Mm. Let's see. Who won the Quan Tran at Super TBQ? Who wins the national championship first? Herman versus Day, Archie Miller versus Holtman. And then it's A, Ehrman versus Day, B, Archie Miller versus Holtman, C, any of the previously mentioned four in his respective sport, or none will win a national championship. I think the most likely right now uh, to win a national championship, you have to go Herman versus Day, just because, like, I, I, like we've repeated this consistently on this show, Ohio State football's team can go seven and th- can win, can lose three games next year. But they can also go undefeated next year. It's it's very iffy as far as there's a lot of questions. There's more questions than answers right now. You've got a brand new uh, passing game coordinator, a brand new head coach, a brand new quarterback. I, I, basically, outside of like maybe outside of three or four guys, a, a lot of new coach coaches. There's too much new. There's more questions than answers. So it's really really hard to you know decipher what exactly this team is going to look like so the ceiling is maybe they're a national championship contender but the floor is maybe they finish the season ranked 16th or 17th while with texas texas clearly looks like they're ready to take that next step and contend for a national championship so i would put my money there i think uh, you know indiana got took some steps back this year and ohio state i think they're going to have a lot more talent but one, any March Madness, anything can happen. You know, teams lose all the time. We just saw that with Duke almost lose to UCF on 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 Sunday. And on top of that, you know, I, I think at best they're a ranked team at the end of the season next year. But at worst, it's another year of what we saw this year, where it takes a year, and by year two of what the, by the time this twenty nineteen classes are sophomores, then they're ready to take that next step. Now, obviously. Most people think they're going to take that next step next year. I do. I'm one of those people who feels like next year is when things kick up and they become a contending team and one of the better teams in the Big Ten. But things can happen, and maybe freshmen need a year, a year to grow into a role. So I would I would say Herman and Day are more like that. That matchup is more likely to win a national championship over Archie Miller and Chris Holtman. Right as of right now, now that could change. After you see what Ohio State looks like in the day, under day, maybe a couple of weeks, and you see what, you know, Ohio State under Holtman looks like for a couple of weeks, that may change. But as of right now, if I would put money on that Ohio State, the football team would win a championship before the basketball team, just based off of those factors of the ceiling is really high for Ohio State football, but the floor is really low as well. 
it's 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 too early to say anything about basketball. I think the expectation and the hype of what may come is warranted, but not necessarily. I don't, I'm not gonna. They're not gonna win national championship next year. Uh, Chris C uh, at C under Keck also asked, saw an article that Caleb Weston was looking at at NBA options. Is it is it serious? He was asked that after the game on Sunday and. Obviously, at that moment, he wasn't going to come out and say he was headed to the NBA, but I, I doubt it. Look, I'm, I can pretty much guarantee he's not going to, he's not going to go to the NBA. Um, he's not ready to go to the NBA, and that style of play isn't necessarily where, you know, NBA teams are looking right now. There's not a lot of guys of Caleb Weston's size and with Caleb Weston's game at this stage of it that you know are on NBA rosters right now, and that's you know. No disrespect to him, and that's not anything against him. He's a great player. It's just like where the NBA is right now. So I, he's not going to the NBA. He'll be back on this team next season. Let's see here. Uh, Justin O'Neill at O'Neill underscore Justin. How does Steven come to the conclusion that Cincinnati is a fast-paced basketball team? You said second only to Hassan's running. I don't remember saying that. I might have. I don't remember saying that, but I think what I was getting at was not necessarily they're a fast-paced team. What I was getting at is they don't necessarily have a a a big who could match up with Caleb Wesson, much like Ohio, Iowa State didn't necessarily have a big that could match up with Caleb Wesson. The guy who guarded Caleb Wesson in that Cincinnati game, Cincinnati, who, by the way, beat Houston in the American Conference Tournament to win the national championship, Nigel Brooks guarded Caleb Weston in that game. Ohio State obviously won that game, which at the time was a pretty huge win. The Caleb Weston finished with 15 points and seven rebounds on five of nine shooting. I, I don't, it was, it, the whole point I was making with why I thought they could beat Iowa, which they ended up doing and proving me right by that matter because they did those exact things was Big 12 teams don't have a guy for Caleb Weston. That, that type of, the way, Ohio State could win that game was by treating this game like any other Big Ten game offensively, where you just give the ball to the guy who's clearly got a mismatch and also just so happens to be your best player. You give him the ball time and time again, and you allow him to make plays and make plays and make plays. And it ended up in their favor because he ended up with a twenty with twenty one points and twelve rebounds on fifty three percent shooting and eighty three percent from the line. And they won, and they won 62 and 59. They literally played the game as if it was a big, as if they were playing a Michigan State or they were playing a Wisconsin or they were playing an Iowa. They played through the post. They played through the big man. The only thing was the team they were playing did not have a Nick Ward, did not have a, have that type of guy who could combat him in the post. Because of that, it found success. So it wasn't necessarily about Cincinnati. Whether or not Cincinnati played fast or played slow, it was just that in the non-conference schedule, Kelly Weston was really good. He was Big Ten Player of the Week one year. He was a huge reason why at one point Ohio State was the 13th best team in the country, according to AP poll, was because the majority of the teams they were playing, and Chris Holtman even said this, they were playing teams who didn't have anybody who had an answer for for Caleb Weston in the middle. In the Big Ten, everybody has an answer for Caleb Weston in the middle because everybody has a Caleb Weston in the middle. That you don't see that. That not not many other conferences have guys like that where you can give him. Most conferences don't have a six nine two seventy guy who has that much skill and can pass out the post. That's a Big Ten thing, and so it's why in non conference schedule he was able to be as dominant as he was, and it's why he was able to dominate against Iowa State. State Houston had a guy. 
So it took away that factor. And they literally did not let him touch the ball in the post. He took seven shots. Six of them were three-pointers. The first shot he was able to get was a three-pointer because every time they tried to do a post entry, it got stolen because they weren't they weren't able to get him ball. So Chris Holman called a timeout and ran a play to get your 6'9", 270-pound big man a, bo- a shot on the perimeter. So it wasn't necessarily about the fact that Cincinnati played fast or they played slow or any type of tempo. It was about... Guys don't have an answer for Caleb Weston outside of the Big Ten. And uh, let's see here. What else we got? Any other questions from? So I get. Let me close with this then. And I'm, I'm going to be writing about this in the next couple of days. But the 2018 Ohio State recruiting class doesn't. I think. I think it's a great start for Chris Holman. It was his first official recruiting class as a, as Ohio State's head coach. It was a it was ranked sixth in the Big Ten and twenty seventh nationally. He had a four star, he had two four star guys and two three star guys. One was a starter, another one was a part of the normal rotation. Another guy had twenty nine points in a game and played his way into the rotation for a little bit. And the other guy sat behind one of the best players in the Big Ten. So he necessarily didn't he didn't learn the same way the other guys learned. But I look at it, and I'm going to be, like I said, I'm going to be writing about this. So I don't want to go too deep into it. I want you guys to read the story. But it, it's, it, there, this 2018 class can be re- very reminiscent of what the 2007 class was with Costa Kufas, Evan Turner, John Dealer, and Dallas Lauderdale, and Eric Wallace. Obviously, Eric Wallace ended up transferring from Ohio State, and Costa Kufas was a one and done. Evan Turner is one of the best players to come through Ohio State, his numbers retired, and right now he plays for the Portland Trailblazers. He, when he left Ohio State, he was the number two pick in the draft. John Dealer is one of the best shooters Ohio State's ever had. And Dallas Lauderdale had a pretty solid college career. But from that point on, they, they, their freshman year, they went to the NIT. The 2018 fr- freshman year, they got to the second round of the NCAA tournament. So they're already ahead of them as far as the experience they have in high-level postseason play. Four years after that, that team, that initial class got to Ohio State in 2007. Ohio State played in the Final Four. They were getting the regional finals. They had 2010 class, which was the number one recruiting class in the country. Since 2000, that 2000, what I'm getting at is that 2007 class is what catapulted that, that, the best years Ohio State had under Thad Monty. Yes, they got to the national championship with Greg Oden, but that was more of a one-off after, because the very next year they were in NIT. The classes that followed that 2007 class, outside of what, in 2009, when they did not have any recruits commit to Ohio State, catapulted the best years for Thad Mata at Ohio State. And I think that this 2018 class can be that for, for Chris Holtman, because no, none of them. I don't think there's. I'm not saying there's an Evan Turner in this class. Where three years from now they're going to be the number two pick in the NBA draft. What I'm saying is, this is the class that sets that tone because this is his first official recruiting. This is the first guys that are here because Chris Holtman is here. After this, you can start. So now that you've got the foundation, you can start recruiting on talent, and that's what he did in 2019. He got three four star guys to commit, and another guy. They just offered, and we're still waiting to see if he decides to come to Ohio State or not. But it'll be interesting to see if they can add him as well, which will give them another post presence outside of Caleb Wesson. But in short, this is a this is the final year of 
over outplaying expectations of maybe being a middle of the road team. Ohio State basketball, I'm not gonna say it's back. What I will say is the expectation is no longer eight or eighth or ninth in the Big Ten. And if they get to the tournament, we're going, I don't know how they got into the tournament. Now the tournament should be an expectation and they should be one of the five best teams in the Big Ten. Um, so that wraps up their season, you know, 20 and 15 on the season, eight and 12 in the Big Ten. Got to the second, the quarterfinal of the Big Ten tournament, second round of the NCAA tournament. And that closes the chapter on CJ Jackson, Keyshawn Woods, and Joy Lane. And now I'll throw it about the Doug. And that's it for another Buckeye Talk. Um, thanks to uh, you guys for listening. Thanks to Stephen Means for dropping that in from his bedroom. Um, thanks to my in-laws for letting me do this in their house in Iowa. Steve and I will be uh, will be back next week with a more traditional Buckeye Talk. But for now, always grateful to uh, to you guys for listening. For Stephen, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk.